All right. I am so excited to be with you. I have a little activity for us to do as we get going, and uh, Frank's going to put up a verse for us. Theme for today is joy. What was the first one two weeks ago? What was it? Hope, faith, and joy. Joy is a big Christmas theme, right? Joy. Joy to the world, right? Um, how many times does it say in the Christmas narratives, like, rejoice, right? This is a day of favor. So joy's a big theme. So I want us to look at this verse. This is the verse that we're going to be studying today because it's a verse that talks about joy. In fact, it talks about the source of joy. So a um, little assignment. Um, I want you to pick out for me key words. Don't worry about right or wrong. I'll be honest with you, I'm looking for a few on purpose here, okay? So uh, when you hit the ones that I'm looking for, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out, okay? So what, as you see this verse, let's, first let's read it together, out loud. Ready? One, two, three. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Notice the word that comes before joy. That's a lot of joy. Would you like that? All joy? That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. So uh, throw out to me some key words that you think might be important in this text. Believing is probably a big one. So Joe, come on up. You said believing, so come on up. Somebody else? Abound. That's a great word. We're not going to use that one, but... It does, because abound would be not just a little bit, but it's like overflowing, abound. Very good. Keep going. Stay up here. Stay up here. Power, another great one we're not going to use. That would go along with, uh, with abound. Hope, who said hope? Please come up. Please come up. Hope is one of our key words. You'll see why I'm choosing these in a moment. Hope. Now, would you guys do me a favor as well? Write your word. I will let you go first. You can pick your color. Nice and big so that everybody can see it on there, okay? Nice and big. Yours is going to be believing, right? Yours is going to be hope. Um, and stay up here. A couple more. Peace. Who said peace? Thank you. Come on up. Peace. Anything else? Is love in there? I didn't see love in there. Which one was yours? Peace, right? Would you mind writing peace in real big letters in the color of your choice? All right, one more. How about joy? Okay, anybody want to say joy? You can't say it because you're already standing up here. Somebody else say joy for me. Did you say joy? Who said joy? Please come on up and say joy for me. All right. Thank you. And write it down real big. And stand up here, you all, and hold your, hold your signs up. This is like a nice class. Very good. Come on over here, Joe. Cover your markers so it doesn't dry out. That's the key lesson of learning using those markers. Always cover it up so it doesn't dry out. All right, now, here's the second thing we're going to do. We're going to give an opposite to these, okay? We're going to give an opposite, and I'll probably, I'm going to help you out with it a little bit. So let's start down here with this one. Let's give an opposite to peace. 
Wow, there's so many we could use, right? Turmoil, war. Now we're probably going to think of inner stuff, so turmoil is a good one. Anxiety. Let's use anxiety. Can you write anxiety on that side? We'll help out. We'll help out. Anxiety. It's got an X in it. Okay? Hope. Let's come up with an opposite to hope. Despair. Let's come up with another word too. That's another. That's, despair is a great word. How about hopelessness? No, I can't use that, right? Depression would be a good one. You you choose depressed or despair, and then write that on the back side. Okay? Would you please do that? And you got anxiety over there? Anxiety. Excellent. Believing. Let's give an opposite for believing. Doubting. Interesting. What do you think would be the opposite of believing? Yeah, unbelief, doubting. You want to use doubting? Does doubting work for you? Doubting, doubting works for you. Okay, and the opposite of joy. Despair. Was that the same one we used over here? Sadness. I have something in my notes, so let me think of my notes here a second. Joy. What did you say? Joy, strife. Any other ideas? I didn't really like, go for that one, so you could tell I just skipped right over it, right? Joy. Misery. Hey, misery's a good one. How about misery? Okay, now we're going to do one more thing while they're up here. Now, for this one, you have to look at the text. All right? By the text, I mean the verse. There's an order to these words. Now, little hint. In the, in the text, I'm, I'm not saying the order that they are in the text. I'm saying that the order that they flow in, like what causes what? What would be the source and what would be the result? There's kind of a kind of a logical or linear flow. One thing leads to another. Now we're going to work on this as a group because honestly, it's not that easy to figure out. So we'll just kind of do it together. And then these people are going to move around. Oh, there's actually one more I wanted to use. There's a, a key word that we never have. Oops. I need a pen here. We need one more word. I think somebody might have said it. It's God, okay? God or the Holy Spirit. So, Sharon, do you want to be God? Well, you can't be God, but you know what I mean. God, and then put Holy Spirit underneath there. And we won't put the opposite yet. Okay? Cap your pen. That's the first lesson to learn with these markers is cap your pen. All right. Sharon, you can stand up there, too. Okay. So, now, let's put these in order. We've got five words. What are they? Let's start with the left. God or the Holy Spirit. See, may the God of hope, and then you see at the end, the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So that's where that one fits in, right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, there's that word, right? Um, fill you with all joy, fill you with all peace over here. Hold your sign up. Peace, hold your sign up. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope and may the God of hope. Okay? 
Anybody want to take a shot at lining these people up in the order of the flow of how joy comes to a person's life? What would you say goes first? All right, God. Except for, you know what? I'm just going to give you a hint. Sharon, go behind the piano. Do you notice how God's at the beginning and God's at the end? God's over it all. Okay, so God's not just at the beginning, God's in the middle, and God's at the end. God's over it all, so for that, we're going to put God up at the top. Okay, now, let's go with the rest. Anybody want to try it? What, what do you think would be next? Now, who said that? You're exactly right. Now, you notice it's not in the text that way, right? It doesn't say, may the God of hope fill you with believing. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now, there's a, that's a certain kind of grammatical phrase. It's saying that in believing is the way you're going to get something. So the way you're going to get what? Joy and peace and hope. So let's put those in order. Joy and then Peace, and then hope. The way you're going to get joy, peace, and hope is how? Believing. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I want to keep those before you, so we'll tape them up. There you go. You can tape yours to that. Why don't you tape yours right here? And would you please tape yours right here? Thank you. And would you tape yours? Thank you, Cher. Would you tape yours right here? Nice and below God. Right here. And then will you tape yours right there? Can we give him a hand? Uh oh, we just lost God. Gotta get we gotta get God back on the scene here. I got it. Now let's look at that again. <laughs> That's an important one. Okay. Thank you. Now let's look at it again. May the God of hope, who's over it all, fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing so that by God's Spirit you would abound in hope. Here's another way you could say it. Do you want to abound in hope? You will abound in hope if you are full of joy and peace. You will abound in hope if you are full of joy and peace. If you don't have joy and peace, you're going to feel a bit... Makes sense, right? So if you want to have hope, 
You're going to have to you're going to have to have joy and peace full in your life that comes by God. But the key is if you're going to be full of joy and peace, they only come by believing. Now we could turn all of those around. What's the opposite of believing? If you live in doubt, you will not be experiencing joy and peace. You'll probably have a great measure of misery and anxiety. Ouch. If you miss the believing thing, your life will be full of misery and anxiety, which will not lead to hope, but you'll probably be full quite a bit of Depression. Whenever we use the word depression, I always like to say, you know, there's a couple kinds of depression. There is a clinical depression. In a second, you're going to hear a bit about that from my story of my family. But the depression that we're using here is not quite the same as like a clinical depression. This would be the kind of depression that comes which just you're, you're not having a good day, right? You're just just not having a good day. It would be more related to a lack of joy and peace in your life. Now let me tell you a story that illustrates this. You already heard it. It's the story of Joseph. Oh, let me say, I gotta say one more thing about this. That's what this piece of paper is for. So there's a guy named Joseph. And um by the way, have you ever heard the difference between joy and happiness? What's happiness? Happiness is typically based on circumstances. Joy is rooted in something, usually rooted in something like in Christ or something much deeper than circumstances. Happiness typically, they, you know, the word would be it's fleeting. It comes and goes. It goes as the circumstances go. And joy is rooted in something deeper. It's rooted in what Christ has provided. Really, this would be the verse that would be the, the proof text for that teaching. That there's a difference between happiness. This would be the verse. The story of Joseph is an example. Remember the story of Joseph that was read earlier? So Joseph is engaged to this young lady named Mary. And uh, before they come together, it's found out that Mary is pregnant. Now, um, apart from any form of believing, right, with no divine explanation of the pregnancy of your fiancé, how, how are you going to be doing when you receive the news of that circumstance that you're Fiance is pregnant. Are you going to be experiencing much of this? You're probably going to be experiencing this, right? A little bit of misery and a little bit of anxiety. Was that Joseph's situation? Yes. How do you know? He proposed in his heart to divorce her quietly because he was a just man. All right? The quietly... The quietly shows something about his, his kindness of heart. The, 
the justness is he was going to put her away. He's going to divorce her. He was going to do what the law said. She was an immoral person according to circumstances. So he's going to do what the law says, but he was going to do it quietly so that he wouldn't make a big stink about it, wouldn't kind of ruin her life, but he was going to do what God called him to do. He was a just man who was also a kind man. Now, here's the way it works. There is an arrow. This is similar to what I preached on last time. In fact, I, I jumped on this opportunity to, to preach a similar sermon, taking it a little bit deeper. There is an arrow that comes out of our heart at any given moment. And the arrow points to where we are going to go to find answers to the deep questions of our life. Questions like, am I okay? Will my world be safe? Do I have a future? That The arrow points to the place where I'm going to get my answers. Joseph finds himself in a difficult situation, and naturally the arrow of his heart points towards the circumstances. And the arrow of his heart, looking at the circumstances of his life, he draws conclusions saying, my fiancé is pregnant. That is not at all natural. I am in trouble. I have no joy. I have no peace. I have no hope. You see how it works? Because the arrow of his heart is aiming at circumstances. He's trying to find the answers to the questions of his life by looking at the circumstances around him. Now, now listen to me. Is that normal to do that? Of course it's normal. It's natural. If you have a headache, wouldn't you grab for a bottle of aspirin? You would naturally look for a natural solution to your natural problem. That's natural. The problem is we are not fundamentally natural beings. We're not animals. Can I say that again? The problem with always looking for a natural response to the, the natural situations of our life is we are not natural beings. We are created in the image of God by a creator God who is over all things. And, over, and even though circumstances may be shouting at us a certain conclusion to the situation of our life, circumstances do not have the final determination of what really is going on. Correct or incorrect? Joseph is the prime example. The arrow of his heart pointing at his circumstances leaves him without belief. It's not that he's doubting. He simply has no revelation. He has no external input into his situation. He's absolutely on his own to read his situation. So he has nothing, and it results in misery and anxiety and depression because he's the arrow of his heart is pointing towards it. Does that make sense? Fortunately, God is really merciful. So what does God do to Joseph? He looks at him and he says, this guy, this guy cannot navigate his world 
trying to figure out on his own. He needs what? He needs divine intervention. He needs revelation. Do you know what revelation means? Revelation is when there's a mystery, when there's something that you can't see, when there's something that your eyes are closed to. Revelation is when the lights come on and you go, aha, I see it. Now, in Joseph's case, God chose to give revelation through an angel. Still happens, by the way. Those days are not over. Might have happened to one of you. I have actually asked for angels in really hard times of my life. I have said to God, listen, it would be really simple for you to send an angel face to face to me to explain to me what's going on. He's repeatedly chosen not. So that my faith, which is of more worth than gold, would be found to result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. God loves to refine our faith. He loves to build our faith. And ultimately, revelation can never be rooted in an angelic visit. Ultimately, revelation always has to be rooted in what God says in his written word. It's the only, only objective source. So we have two options. We can live our life with the arrow of our life pointed towards circumstances. Or we can consciously enter into the, listen to me, Hard work of pointing the air of our heart towards God's word. It's actually called a biblical worldview where I would begin to orient all of my life not like a natural being, but like a supernatural being that I am. I'm not an animal. I don't live instinctively. I'm a man of inspiration. He inspires me through his word by his spirit. And I have revelation so that I can build my faith on something solid. Does that make sense? That's what happened to Joseph. Did it work? Yes, it worked because he joined faith to the revelation that was received. His life was reordered and he had joy and peace and believing and he had great hope. Can anybody tell me how hope was demonstrated in Joseph's life? Anybody can tell me that? How was hope demonstrated in Joseph's life? He, didn't, he married her. Could you imagine being married to Mary when everybody knows that the marriage is scandalous? Do, do you know it's an interesting thing to continue through the Gospels and notice how Jesus is referred to several times? It, it's an implied insult repeatedly when they'll say, isn't this, um, isn't this Mary's son? Like, what an insult. 
why don't they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? You will find that repeatedly in the text that the, 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 the people are saying, we know your background, Jesus. We know you're illegitimate. They're not believing. They don't believe what's happened. They're looking at the situation naturally. Joseph, for the rest of his life, in Nazareth, where he was, probably was known as that guy. How did he do it? He had hope because it was rooted in belief that gave him a great sense of peace and joy. Resulted in hope. All a gift of God. The source of joy is the revelation of God into your circumstance. Can I say it again? The source of joy is the revelation of God into your circumstance. It was April of 2007. 2006, I had always said, was my best year of my life. Just in so many ways, there's just so many beautiful things that God had done during 2006 in my life. It was interesting. We went to the Dominican Republic in January of 2007 to, to preach at a gathering of our international workers in the Dominican Republic. And um, on the plane home from the Dominican Republic, my wife and I got into a major argument. And from that argument on, that was beginning of 2007, my 2007 was, turned sour. Not because of the argument. It was just that was the first example of it. And 2007, by all measures, I entered into the worst year. In April of 2007, I was preaching, and my son Joel was leading worship. And um, we had two services in our in our church, and he led the first service, came up at the end, same thing in the second service. But at the end of the second service, when I called for Joel to come up and lead, he was gone, and nobody knew where my son Joel was. I was a little concerned because Joel had, um, Joel had for a, 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 really a number of months, maybe nine months, there was a certain level of darkness about my son Joel. If you would look at his face, uh, you would say, Joel doesn't seem to be himself. He would um, sometimes have a, a look on his face of anger towards us, and he would hold it in, but he would sit at the table and he would almost snarl at us. I don't know if you've ever been around a person who's demonized. This might scare you a little bit. I don't know if you've ever been around a person who's demonized. I repeatedly thought that my son was demonized. I was doing everything I could to understand what was going on in my son's life, but I couldn't figure it out, and it was just getting worse and worse. That April, um, when Joel didn't come back up to, to finish the worship set, I started texting him after the service was over, calling him, and I couldn't get a hold of him, so I just called and called and called. I just... With speed dial, he'd, you know, no answer. Speed dial, speed. Finally, he picked up. I said, Joel, where are you? And he said, Dad, I'm in a subway in Philadelphia, and I don't know how I got here. 
said, can you get home, Joel? He said, I think I can make it home. We entered into, that was the first sign that there was something really wrong. He, he left his job soon after that. He left our home soon after that. Um, one night, uh, we were out visiting some people in our church, and my wife had this really strong premonition that something was wrong with Joel, but she didn't have her phone. And um, so she wanted, I, I remember why she was not acting herself as we were with these people. It was just not like Sharon, but everything I was getting from Sharon was like, let's get out of here. So we finally got into the car about 10 o'clock. I had not picked up the signals. I, we finally got in the car about 10 o'clock, and she said, she started to cry, and she said, something's wrong with Joel. So we went home, and there had been phone messages on our old-fashioned machine, you know, on the wall. There had been phone messages from like 6 o'clock on, repeated, say, can you come and get me? Can you come and get me? Joel had left our house, walked barefoot towards Ocean City, New Jersey. His intention was to end up in, in Ocean City, New Jersey. He only made it about 15 miles down the road and couldn't continue to go. And he found a, a cell phone, uh, found a, uh, a pay phone. He had broken his cell phone. Jo In other words, our son Joel was really, really broken. We brought him home that night, but before we got him home, he actually threw, threw open the side door of the car and he ran out of the car and just took off running up the street. We were completely clueless as to what was going on with our son. I can't tell you the whole story, but Joel ended up institutionalized. Have you ever seen the movie One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest? That was my son. Padded cell. The guy writing over all of the walls. We would show up. It was at Bryn Mawr. It was the second place he was at. Um, uh, we would go and visit him, and he would do that whole snarling thing on his face, and uh, he'd flip tables and throw things, and they would make us leave the hospital. And for a long time, they said we couldn't go back to him. They, they, they wouldn't allow us to go back. For days, we couldn't go back. Again, I can't tell you um, all the details of the story. I'm just trying to give you the picture of circumstantially, we were in trouble. You know, when you're holding your little boy, dedicating him to the Lord, and when you brought up your son in the fear and admonition of the Lord, when you've instructed your son in the way that he should go, you never anticipate that when he's 24 years old, that's going to be your son. You just never think that. I remember when I was in the middle of that, we would go and visit Joel in the, in the hospital, and Sharon and I would do everything we could to hold on to faith. I wanted to quit my job. Have you ever wanted to quit? Just quit? Just say, I'm out of here. Whatever, your marriage, your job, your church, friendships. I'm out of here. Like, I didn't sign up for this. I, I, I couldn't quit on my son. He's my son. But repeatedly I heard myself say to myself, if you're that bad of a dad, what gives you any right to be a pastor? The arrow of my heart had one focus. 
is Joel okay? I would go to bed at night looking at Joel's face. Is Joel okay? I would wake up the next morning and I would look at his face and I would say, is Joel okay? You know, I said earlier, we ask the hard questions of our life. Am I safe? Will this turn out? Will everything be okay? We ask those questions of the circumstances of our life. Do you know where I came to that understanding? Because that's what I would do. I would repeatedly ask the major questions of my life. I would ask them non-verbally to my son. I would never say, hey, Joel, promise me that we're going to be okay. I remember when um, the issues with Joel were so severe that it was becoming a strain between Sharon and me. And I began to fear if our marriage was going to make it as my son was suffering so much. And I, it, it had to be this, right? Like, how, how does the shift come about? How, do, how did Joseph come to a place of believing in the middle of hard circumstances? It has to be God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It has to be. Because we don't do this on our own. We can't, you can't get out of a situation like that on your own. What was the word that you had used, Don? Divine if there's not an outside influence that steps into our existence, that's called grace. It's not for grace stepping in. I would have been absolutely lost. So I don't know how it happened. But at some point, God suggested to us convincingly, why don't you shift your arrow? Look at my word. Sharon and I used to be on the floor next to the couch when Joel was finally released. He was still doing really terrible, but he'd, he'd be released. He was released from the hospital. He would lay on our couch, be so, you know, so confused by all of the drugs that they had given to sedate him, and he'd just be laying on the couch. And Sharon and I would sit on the floor, and we would we would pull out the Bible and we say, what, what, what can what can we turn to? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? We would take a verse at a time through Psalms, and, and then we would just sit there with Joel, and he'd be just like laying there, and we would say, Yes, God, that's what we feel right now, but our eyes are on you. And then we'd just go a verse at a time. I remember Psalm 22 because later on it, it says, as you, as you go all the way through it, there's this beautiful line that says, um, uh, let's see if I can find it. He starts by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Excuse me, I'm scanning to find it. Yeah. Verse 24, for he has not despised or a abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him but has heard when he cried to him you know so we would walk through the text 
and we would pray it a line at a time. And then verses like that would say, Amen. God, it feels like you've forsaken us, but right now your word says you have not abandoned us, and we're believing you for what you've said right now, and, and we would get a measure of joy instead of misery. We would get a measure of peace instead of anxiety. We would get a measure of hope instead of depression. It wasn't like a light switch. But it was a process that belief was flowing into joy and peace, which was flowing into hope. I am really so grateful that I can say that 2007 has become 2018. And 11 years later, my son is doing really well. He still is under a diagnosis, and he still is on medicine, and he will be on medicine all probably the rest of his life. But he speaks of a strong level of healing that God has given him. The initial diagnosis of mildly schizophrenic is not, he's not under that anymore. Um, and we're so grateful for what he's done. He's actually an elder in our church. They have three sons, he's married, he's, he's actually a key elder in our church right now, he's currently running point in a major discipline situation in the church where he's the one leading a team of people to help a couple through great difficulties. In fact, Joel has such wisdom on his life because of what he's walked through. Jesus is a redeemer. doesn't always end up that 11 years later there's positive side to the story. But listen to me. For every story, there will be a positive side someday. For every story. For every story. Because Jesus is the Redeemer, whether we see it right now. Here's how I want us to close. I'd like to give you a couple minutes. If you have a piece of paper, it'd be helpful. If you don't have a piece of paper, you could use your phone. or um, You could just be quiet and think on your own. Um, but I'd like you to, to think through what are the maybe the one or two circumstances of your life that tend to draw your attention and try to force you to draw certain conclusions about your life. What are they? And what kind of emotions do they result in? Do those conclusions lead you to a strong sense of joy and peace and hope? Or do those conclusions lead you to more of a, I can't remember the opposite of joy, and anxiety, and depression. Okay, so start there. One or two circumstances. Rebecca's going to play for us a little bit while we're doing this. And then after you've written one or two circumstances, um, is there one or two 
verses of Scripture that have carried you in some way in these days? And if not, just be still. Perhaps the Holy Spirit might even lead you to a word from His Word that you could rely on as you're walking through here. So let me pray for you. And let's just see if God will speak to us even now as we, as we close our time. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that there are divine promises to give us everything that we need for life and godliness. Through them, we actually become partakers of your nature. And I thank you, God, that we're not on our own at finding those promises. We're not on our own at figuring our life out. Thank you so much that you have given us the Holy Spirit as our counselor, and as our comforter. So I pray for my brothers and my sisters that as we do a brief assessment of some of the circumstances of our life, we pray for you to speak to us even now. So let's just try to take a couple minutes and um, you can write a few of those things down. You can give some thought to that. And then I'm going to pray one more time before Rebecca closes us in a song. I have a suggestion for you. Um, if there have been some verses that have come to your mind, I'd encourage you to share those with somebody. If there's a story that you have um, that others have not heard, or just it would be important for you to tell that story again, similar to me telling my story. There's something really healing about telling your story. I was talking to somebody this week, and they were saying, oh, I could never tell my story. No one would ever understand. I certainly don't think that we should probably tell our story to everybody, like what I just did to you, but I did it on purpose because I think it's good for a church to hear from someone like me an honest story. Um, so you maybe don't have to tell your story to everybody like what I just did, but usually there's one or two safe people in your life, and you can, you can select them and say, can I ask you to hold this confidentially? I'd like to tell you my story about what I've been walking through. Uh, I think you'll find faith increases, belief increases when we share with other people. Would you stand with me? So Jesus, as we uh, sing this song of joy, we confess again that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would um, that we would be filled with joy and peace in believing and so abound in hope. So I pray that you would uh, grant that to us, especially as we continue through this season, which is our season. This season does not belong to, this, to the, uh, the shopping malls, does not belong to Walmart. This is our season. This is where we celebrate Emmanuel, and I pray that you would give us grace to celebrate well. In Jesus' name, amen.